Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. I'll be reading a familiar passage of scripture, but in the NIV it's a fresh take. It's Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and mercy and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. It's great to be uh, with you uh, this morning. Uh, It's been a while since I've been here. I think it was six or seven years ago uh, since I've been here, but it's uh, great uh, to be here. I'm here with my wife and my kids. I brought a picture of them, if you could... Uh, put that up. My son Jaden is 10. My beautiful daughter Sabrina, my little princess, is 8. Uh, and uh, my wife, as you can see from the picture, my daughter is a little bit of a jokester there. Uh, um, we try and take a serious picture, and here we go. That's the smile that she, that's the smile that she puts on. So. But it's been great, uh, it's been great to, to connect with some of you uh, from a distance. I know I haven't seen many of you in a while, but it's great to bring you greetings from the People's Church up in the Bayview and Shepherd area. Uh, and it's great that they free me, free me to uh, come and share uh, God's Word with, uh, with you this morning. When uh, we look at uh, our context, where we live right now, there are many people that have different ideas about uh, who uh, God is. If we were to uh, ask a people, 10 people on the street, hey, who is God? They'd probably give you uh, 10 different pictures of who God is. You know, some believe that God is somebody that you should and ought to submit to. Uh, some believe that God uh, is in everything and God is, is, is everywhere. You know, we all have different perspective of who God is. And even though I grew up in a church, uh, I remember growing up having uh, some messed up images about who God is. Okay? I uh, remember thinking that God was a little bit like a vending machine. Okay? When you see this God, you uh, put in your prayer, you make your selection, and hopefully, boom, you get what you ask for. Then when I was uh, in high school and I got a little bit of trouble with some, with, with some other people, I thought of God as a bodyguard. You know, like if you have any issues, you know, you, God has his little mic, and okay, God, I need some help, man, these guys will get me. So you, you have God there, and you know, you, he, he come and he'll protect you. And then I, I also thought of God as some sort of a Santa Claus who is there just to give you like tons and tons of gifts uh, and blessing, you know, no matter how you've been, whether you've been good or bad, he's just going to come and shower some amazing gifts uh, upon you. Also, I saw God as a little bit of a prison guard, you know, ready to, to smite you whenever you misbehave. You see, I grew up in a Haitian church. And the church that I grew up in, if I misbehave on a Sunday morning, anybody had the right to spank me. 
Okay, my Sunday school teacher. We all call brother. We all call each other brother, uh, brother and sister. So brother so and so, sister so and so. And I have vivid memories of my Sunday school teacher. Of me, I mean, it wasn't my fault, but anyways, uh, of me uh, receiving a spanking on a Sunday morning right there in Sunday school. And that Sunday school teacher told my parents, which caused me to get another spanking because I misbehaved in the first place. So for for me going to church, I mean, it, it was great. I saw a lot of people, but I I had this image of God being. So some sort of a guy who was just, as soon as you misbehave, you know, he's ready to, to spank. And, you know, don't worry, I, I turned out okay. As you can see, you know, don't call children or anything. I mean, I, I turned out okay. But we all have different images or different pictures of who God is. And if I were to ask you, what are some images, some, some pictures that we see in the Bible of who God is? Okay, uh, where I come from, when I ask a question, I expect an answer. Okay, so, so, so work with me here. What are some different images or different pictures that we see of God in the scriptures? Talk to me. Father, yeah. Teacher, yeah. Healer, yeah. Sings over us, yes. Shepherd, yeah. We'll talk about, oh man, somebody's been listening to scripture. We'll talk about that in just a second. Anybody else? Comforter, yeah. What was that? King, yes. And I mean, I could go on and on, and all of us could probably shout out some different uh, pictures or different images that we uh, get of who God is. And this morning, in, in order to, to explore this God of the Bible, I want to zero in on the image of God as a shepherd. And for, to do so, as we, it was read before, I want us to focus on Psalm 23. Now, most of us have probably heard Psalm 23 in one way or another, whether it was at a funeral or in the rap song, Coolio, if you remember back in those days, um, you know, as a walk through the... Anyways, I won't bust a rhyme for you, but uh, so most of us have heard at one point another Psalm 23 uh, quoted, and we're mostly familiar with this psalm. That being said, we may not be as familiar with the concept of the image of God as a shepherd. So we don't live in a society where shepherds are, are, are rampant, so we may miss out of what it means for God to be a shepherd. So I had the privilege of going to Israel uh, over seven years ago, and when I was there, I really learned many things of what it means and how predominant the image of a shepherd is in uh, the Bible, in the, in the culture of the Bible, and what that uh, could mean uh, for us. Remember when I was there, I saw a Bedouin shepherd, and uh, you'll see there uh, the picture uh, that I saw, that I, that I took. And again, the, most of the pictures that you'll see there I've taken, so they're not amazing, but you get the gist of it. And as you can see in that picture, a Bedouin shepherd, they're, they're shepherds that are uh, nomadic in nature. They move around and they travel. And I remember seeing uh, the shepherd there, and that's the person in black if you see it. And I remember asking a rabbi, hey, you know, like I've heard so much about shepherds. Can I go and take a selfie and just, you know, chat with the shepherd to see what's up? And our rabbi told, us, told me specifically, Stevens, if you go see that shepherd, you will die. I'm like, come on, man, how, how bad? I mean, I don't want to be no harm. I just want to say what's up to that shepherd. It's like, you don't understand. You see, the shepherd, in that case, a woman, was dressed in black. And when her husband is looking out for, her, uh, for his wife, he look out, out in desert, and the only uh, color that you don't see naturally in desert is black. So he would see a black spot, there's my wife. But if you were to see an extra black spot next to his wife, he would make sure that that extra black spot would be taken down. And if he doesn't do it, his kids will make sure that an extra black spot is be, would be taken down. So needless to say that I took a picture from afar and kind of like wave at her, and that was uh, the gist of it. You see, when I saw shepherds, or the idea of shepherds for me, I thought that it would be 
you know, like big, important people that were shepherds. But in reality, it's usually people that are neglected, and in this case, either women or kids. And when you look at the, the, the image, the biblical image of a shepherd, usually they're either uh, kids, like shepherds are, are, are the marginalized one, their, their testimony uh, was not even valid in court, they're either kids uh, or women. When you think of uh, Saul, when, when it was time to anoint the next king, he goes to uh, Jesse and says, hey, where are your kids? And he brings all his kids that he thought were worthy. And says, like, don't you have any other kids? No, I don't have any. Are you sure? Oh, yeah, this one, he's, he's a shepherd. You know, he's uh, laying around like in the field. He's just out there. And it's interesting that the image that God used to identify with his people is the image of a shepherd. The image of people that are outcast, the image of people that are rejected. Hence, he can relate with us. He can connect with us. And consequently, we are referred to over 500 times in the Bible as sheep. And you may think that it's a good thing, but it's not necessarily a compliment. See, sheep are not necessarily the brightest when you uh, look at them. I mean, you don't see people with tattoos of sheep. Right? You see people with tattoos like a lion and, and a bear and a tiger, you know, some like big, like muscle people. But you don't see uh, tattoos, people with tattoos of sheep. See, sheep are completely um, helpless. You know, they are at the bottom of the, of the food chain. Like pretty much in the desert, any anim animals will prey on sheep, whether it's dog, hyenas, even insects will prey on sheep. They cannot uh, protect themselves. They, uh, they don't really have claws. They barely have teeth. I mean, if you come and attack them and they fall over, they can't get up. They're completely helpless. And they are needy. And it's probably with this imagery in mind that David says that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He is enough for me. He is more than enough for all of who I am. The word that is used here to say that the Lord is my shepherd is the word Yahweh. It's, it's the covenant name that God uh, has when he makes a covenant with his people. I mean, I got married uh, 14 years ago, and some of you were there when I proposed at Miss Cocoa Woods uh, up north. But I got, we got married a year later, uh, April 5th, 2003, I remember. Um, and when I got married, I made a covenant with my wife. And I have uh, a ring here to show that I made this covenant with my wife. And God is engaged in this covenant relationship with his people. And there are many ways that he uh, describes himself as we look at uh, who this God, who Yahweh is. He's our, our sanctifier. He is our healer. He is the one who provides for us. He is uh, the one who is our peace. He is the one who is present. He is the one who is our shepherd. And it's this God who is amazing, who is uh, transcendent, who is way over there. He is my shepherd. He is the one who meets my every need. He is more than enough that for what I need. No matter what it is that we're going through as a sheep, God is more than enough. You know, often we see God as this vending machine that we ask God, you know, we ask for this and we ask for that. You know, God, I want this and I want that and, and I want this and I want that. And God's saying, do you want me? Am I enough for all your needs? I mean, if you had me and you had nothing else, would that be enough? 
And God is saying that he is our shepherd. He is more than enough for all our needs. We used to sing this worship song, all of you is more than enough for all of me. For every thirst and every need, you satisfy me with your love and all I have in you is more than enough. David continues by saying that he makes me lie down in green pastures. And the idea there is that he feeds me. This shepherd that we have, he feeds me. I don't know about you, but I enjoy going to um, Chinese buffet. I know it's not real Chinese food. It's Canadian Chinese food for all of you Chinese people out here. But still, I enjoy this. And when I go to a Chinese buffet, I feel like there's food everywhere, right? To the left, to the right, and the front and back. I mean, there's food everywhere. And when we think of green pastures, we may think of like, you know, like green, like beautiful green where there's, there's food everywhere, like in this picture right here. Now, we think that uh, green pastures is just tons of greenery all over the place, and the sheep just kind of go up, and, you know, they want to eat here, and then they go up, and they want to eat there, and, you know, they're just like, ah. That, that's our idea of what uh, we think a green pastures are. And I remember when we were there, uh, we, our, our rabbi led us into the desert, and he showed, showed us what true green pastures are. This is actually what it looks like. And as you can see, there's barely a tiny patch of greenery in there. And I remember when I saw that, I mean, thinking of Chinese buffet where there's food everywhere, I kind of put my head up and I asked, hey, um, Rabbi, like, where's, where's the greenery? Because I don't see anything there. And he looked at me as if, like, I was, like, dumb or stupid. And he's like, don't you see that green pasture there? I'm like, yeah, but that's, that's nothing. I mean, the sheep will, will probably starve. And he's like, no, 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 no. She probably won't even able to find this. He's like, sheep doesn't care where the green pastures are because he knows that he needs to stay close to his shepherd and his shepherd will lead him to where the green pastures are. And this is why there's no such thing as, as a fat sheep because the shepherd will lead them exactly, will give them sustenance for the day. See, we are used to uh, thinking that we, have, we, we need more. We need more, bigger house, big, better job, better pay. But our shepherd wants to provide for every single need on a daily basis. I remember a season when I experienced God leading uh, our family to, through green pastures. Probably about like eight years ago, um, we, it was a season where we were broke. We were hurting. My, uh, our driveway was broken down, and for me, that was not a priority. But my neighbor, we shared a drive with my neighbors, and they decided that they wanted to do the driveway, so we had to pitch in. Around the same time, the electrical system at our house went completely out of whack, so we had to replace the whole electrical system uh, at, our, at our place. Shortly after, um, my wife and I were in the car with the kids, and we got in the car accident, and our car was completely totaled. And here we are. Um, my wife is at home. She's not working. She was uh, staying at home with both of her kids under three. And I remember, like, we were hurting. We were struggling. I even went to the leadership of, of my church and said, hey, you know what? I, I'm really hurting. I mean, I'm not sure um, how I can move on from here. And I remember during that season, my shepherd was amazingly gracious. I mean, I remember one guy who was actually raising support as a missionary, blessing me. I remember people from the church, as I was part of a man's group, they would bless me as well. I remember going home and looking into our mailbox and see gift cards to no frills. I mean, God was providing for every single one of our needs. There wasn't one day that we went without a meal because our amazing shepherd led us into a green pastures. 
And as we stay closer as shepherd, he will lead us to place where, places where he knows that he will satisfy us. David continues by saying that he leads me besides still water. And the idea there is that he, this shepherd that we serve, this shepherd that leads us, he is the one that gives us life. He gives us life. I prefer to ask you, what do you think is the main cause of drowning in the desert? Or the main cause, sorry, of death in the desert. What's the main cause of death in the desert? Talk to me. Dehydration, starvation, yeah? Overheating, yeah? Snake bites, yeah? Animals, yeah? What's that? Drowning, yay! Somebody caught on my mistake here. Yeah, the true cause actually of death in the desert is actually drowning. And you may be asking, okay, Stevens, like, I thought there was water. Yeah, what happens, especially in those mountainous parts, is water would, it would rain, right? And, and the water would not, the rocks would not absorb the water. Therefore, uh, sheep, they would see, I guess, a part of, of water that looks pretty cool, that looks like, you know, they could drink from it. But next thing you know, the water would come down, they would have what they would call a flash flood, and it would swipe them away just like that. I mean, if you look at that picture here, this is what the waters would do to a tree. They would come with such power, such force, they would completely bend down a tree. See, the, the sheep, they don't know. They see a pool of water. They think the water is good, so they would go out and have a sip of water. But the shepherd knows. The shepherd knows when the waters are not safe. And he leads them not in waters that are dangerous. I remember we were supposed to go to Engedi, and Engedi is the place where um, King Saul went to relieve himself, and David kind of cut, uh, cut the hem of his uh, garment when he's hiding in the cave. We're supposed to actually go there and check out that place, but it rained that morning, and our rabbi said, you know, we cannot go, because if we go there, for sure, one of those flash floods will completely uh, take us uh, down. See, uh, sheep are not necessarily the brightest. Their eyes, they cannot necessarily see straight. Often they see uh, on the side, and sometimes they would get close to water, but they wouldn't see the water, so they would die right next to water. They would die out of, uh, uh, of dehydration because they wouldn't, they wouldn't see uh, the water. Or they would go through waters that are not safe, right? You would have uh, other animals that would defecate in waters and sheep. They don't know any better. They would go, oh, not bad, you know, and they would just keep on drinking. The next thing you know, they would uh, starve. And they would, uh, because of that water that's polluted, they would die. Unless we think that we are better. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 2, chapter 13, says that the people of Israel commit the same mistake. In Jeremiah 2, chapter 13, uh, the prophet Jeremiah says that my, speaking of the people of Israel, he says that my people have committed uh, two sins. They've dug out cisterns and gone after them, and they've forsaken me, the source of the living God, and they've dug out cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. You see, in the time of Israel, there were three main sources of water. There was the fresh water, which comes from when it rains and it just goes through all the rocks. This is a fresh water, and they would call that Maim Chaim. Okay, Maim, repeat after me, Maim Chaim. You have to roll your R as if you're about to spit to the person next to you. Maim Chaim. Thank you very much. Much better. So no class is done, but A plus on that one. So my Chaim is, is living a water. This is the, the best kind of water that you could ever have. And then there would be well water. This is the water that you know you find on the ground that you kind of dig and you put you know big bucket in it and grab some water. So this would be the second source of water. And the third source of water is cistern water. 
okay? Uh, when you look at a cistern from the outside, it looks like a hole in the ground, okay? If you look at this picture, it's just a hole in the ground. But when you are inside, there are big, uh, I guess, containers of water. Here's the picture of about 30 of us in a cistern, and most, many cisterns are somewhat connected to one another. But when you think about it, you've got animals that do their business uh, out in the street. You've got people that throw out the bathwater out in the street. This all water get washed away where? In cisterns. And what uh, the Jeremiah, the prophet, is saying is what the people of God are doing is they're forsaking God, the source of the best water they could ever have, and they're going for broken cistern, like water that is a polluted, that the, the worst kind of water that we can get. And friends, we are not much different. We all go after broken cisterns. We all go after things that we think will give us life. Whether it's a relationship, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it's uh, relationships that are not uh, correct, whether it's porn, or it may be something as innocent as a Facebook account where, you know, we go to it because we think that we'll find life. That's somebody, oh, let me see who uh, messaged me today. And we go after all these things in order to find a life. It's a little bit like uh, the Happy Meals. If you have kids, you know how they enjoy going to McDonald's because they like the little toys that they get with the Happy Meals. And I like what John Odberg says. He says, the problem with Happy Meals is that the happy wears off and they need a new fix. No child discovered lasting happiness in just one. When you get older, you don't get any smarter. Your Happy Meal just get more expensive. <laughs> Isn't it true? You're right, it's true. Our Happy Meal get more expensive. I know for me, one of my Happy Meals is this little piece of technology right here. Because I know how often I go to it in order to get some sort of life, to, to see what's new, to, 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 to breathe life into me. Yet our shepherd is calling us. He wants to lead us to uh, living waters. He wants to live us, to, to, to lead us to a place where we can find him. David continues. Uh, he says, he restores my soul. And the idea there is that this shepherd, this amazing shepherd that we have, he is the one who heals us. See, I don't know about you, but I know that my soul is all over the place. I mean, I've got uh, a son who plays soccer, and I'm out like four times a week bringing him there. My daughter does gymnastics, and then there's life, there's stuff that I see. I mean, my soul is all over the place. And then when I try to find life in things that are illegitimate, I know that my soul is almost non-functional. And the idea there of, of God restoring your soul is the idea of, of God making your soul functional again. About two months ago, we, uh, I went away. I'm part of a leadership class, and we went away. And we're giving Psalm 23 for about two or three hours to go meditate and spend some time in Psalm 23. And I remember the, the first hour when I got that free time, I went and I did probably one of the best things that I could have done. I napped. Okay? I took an hour just to sleep and drool because I knew I needed it. And then when I uh, woke up, spent some time in Psalm uh, 23, this verse is really what gripped my heart, that God wanted to restore my soul. Like I did business with God, and he revealed things to me about my soul. And one of the things that he revealed is that my soul is wounded. And one of the ways that that manifests itself is how I have a hard time forgiving people, especially my wife, when things happen. And God was saying, you know, Stephen, I want to restore your soul. I want to make your soul functional again. 
See, in this uh, world where we're so busy that we, we have things to do, like places to go, um, things to buy. Like, let, me, let me ask you this. How are, we spend, how are you spending time with your shepherd, allowing him to restore your soul? Jesus said it, right? What is the profit of man to gain the whole world if he's going to neglect, if he's going to lose his soul? And I know for me, for, to allow God to restore my soul, I need to go to bed early. Because if I go to bed past 10 o'clock, I won't feel like waking up in the morning. I won't feel like setting my alarm. And as soon as my alarm is going to go, it's going to be a snooze and another snooze and another snooze. So I need to go to I'm getting old, man. Like, it's sad. Like, it used to be, you know, up, like, midnight, one, no problem. Now, like, 10 o'clock, I need to wrap it up. Because I want to wake up in the morning and not begrudgingly say, okay, I need to, I have to. And it's like, I get to spend time with God. And I guess say, God, how are you going to restore my soul today? David continues by saying, he leads me in path of righteousness for his name's sake. And the idea there is that this shepherd is the one who guides us. The shepherd is the one who guides us. As we can see uh, from the picture, uh, on the mountains, there are little paths that are there. And sheep, again, they're not the brightest. Even last night, I was looking at uh, videos of YouTube of, of sheep trying to go down the mountain. And literally, they would go down, especially if it's rocky, and tumble all the way down. The next sheep, seeing that his brother just went down, didn't learn. Like, oh, what happened to you? And there he goes. And it's just go one after the other because they go to the wrong path. And those little paths that you see on the mountain there, uh, they're called the right path or path of righteousness. And they're a path that the shepherd actually makes and tries to actually lead the sheep. If you want to go up or down, you don't just go up and down like you know you would like just climb. No, no, you go through the right path. And it's the idea that our shepherd here wants to guide us in the right path. He wants to guide us to make the right decisions. And when we have decisions to make, sometimes we think that we need to make the decision that's the more obvious, buy the house that's for sale. You know, just make the, the quickest deal. That, that makes sense to me. Sure, why not? But our shepherd know which are the right path, and those are the path that he wants to lead us on. He wants to lead us on path of righteousness, the right path for his name's sake. If you're, you're caught in a corner, you, you realize, okay, what, should I do? what decision should I make? Think of the decision that will bring the most glory to God. Because he's doing that for his name's sake. And somebody once says, sheep that are too busy to be near their shepherd won't last long. Because you will try to take some path that may be very dangerous for you. So allow your shepherd to guide you. David continues by saying, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. See, whether you are a follower of Christ or not, one thing that you and I have in common is that when we uh, go through times uh, of, of hardship, when we go through times where we feel where it's dangerous, we want to have somebody that joins with us. We want to have a somebody, we want to know that we are not alone. And sheep sometimes, when they'd be afraid, they'd start to, to shiver. And the, the shepherd will take his staff and will just touch the sheep. And all of a sudden, boom, the sheep is just calm and at peace because he knows that he is not alone. He knows that the shepherd is with him. I remember a time uh, about five years ago when I went through such a valley. 
See, my uh, family and I are from Montreal, so we usually go down to Montreal to uh, spend some time with the family, you know, get the kids to see the grandparents and get spoiled with gifts and sugar and all that kind of stuff that we'd rather them not have. So we went to Montreal, had a great time, came back to Toronto. I remember getting a call from my mom when I was uh, on my way back. And I was saying, you know, your brother's not well. I'm like, oh, oh okay, that's, that's fine, whatever. Um, and I had a hockey game, so went to my hockey game. I came back uh, out of my hockey game, and I got... Uh, a call from my aunt. I remember I was driving on the 401 and Leslie right by the Ikea there. And I got a call from my aunt and she said, uh, your brother is gone. I'm like, oh, where did he go? Did he go to hospital? Because my mom told me that he wasn't well. And she's like, no, no, your brother is gone. And just like that, on December 27, 2011, I lost my only sibling. My brother had a pulmonary embolism, which is a blood clot in his lungs. Um, and he uh, died right there, leaving at the time two kids, uh, one uh, and five, both my niece and nephew. And I remember uh, going through this time and, you know, asking God many questions. But one thing that is for sure is that I knew during that season that my shepherd was with me. I for sure experienced the presence of my shepherd during uh, that season. And how did he do that? David continues by saying that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, the shepherd will rarely use, actually almost never use his rod on his sheep. His rod is used on the enemy. You see, when predators or other animals would come, the shepherd would take his his nice little staff and bam, take care of them. Make sure that they don't get uh, close to the sheep. And this shows me that, you know, sometimes there are things, friends, that is supposed to come to us that we don't even realize that even before they get to us, our shepherd is there wheeling his rod and making sure that those predators goes away. We don't even realize how God is protecting us from stuff. But then he would use his rod, his staff, to carry his sheep closer to him. As sheep tend to wander, he would use his staff and just carry them closer to him. See, when my brother passed away, I mean, if I were to show you my journals, they were full of questions and full of me shaking my fist at God and God, like, why and how come and how could you and why didn't you? And you could have, come on, you're God. And although I didn't receive answers to all of my questions, one thing that I can tell you for sure is that during that season, I experienced the comfort of our shepherd. He took me and he drew me closer to himself. David says, uh, he continues by saying, that you prepare before me a table in the presence of my enemies. And the idea there is that this shepherd is the one who provides for me. And, and the idea that is, you know, we, here we are, here is a shepherd, and he prepare a table, like all the, just pretend for the sake of the solution that you're all enemies, okay? So here we are, all enemies all around, surrounding us, but my shepherd is preparing a table, and he's preparing this big spread of Chinese buffet that he knows I love, because I love chicken, and it's usually good, anyways. Um, but, but he's preparing this table before me, so that I can focus on my shepherd in the presence of my enemies, and how the enemy is trying to come and steal and kill and destroy and speak lies into me. My shepherd is calling me to focus on him and to connect with him. Even though the enemy is prowling like a lion all around me, he wants me to focus on him and on the spread that he has provided for me. He prepares a table in the presence of the enemy. And he says, no, I got you. 
I got you. You are not alone. I will provide for you. I got you. No matter what it is that you're going through, they may seem like they're overpowering you, but I got you. The king of the universe wants to sit down with us for a coffee or a meal or whatever it is. And he tells us he's got, he wants to provide for us in the midst of what we're going through. David almost finished the psalm by saying, you anoint my, my head with oil and my cup overflows. And the idea that he, he's got me because he is protecting me. He is the God who, the shepherd, who is protecting me. See, uh, what happens with, uh, with sheep is, you know, their nose gets humid, just like mine is right now because I'm sweating a lot. So their nose gets quite humid, and what would happen is little flies would come, okay? And flies would come, and they egg on their nose. And what would happen is they would develop with some sort of a larva, worm like that would kind of get inside. And I won't get too graphic here, but you get the idea of the worm kind of going inside their brain. And what that would cause, it, it would cause the sheep to go crazy. It would start banging their head everywhere, all over the place. Because you see, unlike us, if a fly comes in, what, what do you do if a fly comes close to you? Exactly, you just swat that thing. But sheep, they can't swat, right? So they're completely helpless. And when a shepherd sees that there are flies that are coming, that are, are close to him, what he will do is he will take the sheep and he will put oil all over the, the, the sheep's head. He will put the oil that will protect the head of the sheep so that those flies will not come and lay their eggs on uh, the nose, which will cause them to go literally uh, crazy and most of the time actually die. And friends, I, I don't know about you, but I know that there are many flies that are twirling around my head. There are many thoughts that I have about myself. There are many things that I believe about myself that people say about me that, you know, that my mind can easily get all messed up with all the things that are around me that I tend to believe. But my amazing shepherd wants to come and anoint my head with all and to protect me from all these things. David ends his psalm by saying, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the idea there is that he follows me. He is there. I mean, he is not, he is relentless. He is not leaving. He is following me. I don't know about you, but I make mistakes on a regular basis. Maybe you guys are perfect, but I know, and I'm not, that I make mistakes on a regular basis. And this shepherd is not following me with the staff. He's not following me like this prison guard that I was talking early on. No, no. He's following me with goodness and mercy. With love and mercy that he is ready to shower upon me. He's giving me what I don't deserve. Because I know for all the mistakes and for all the things that I say, for all the things that I think, that I know that I deserve death. But he is following me with goodness and mercy. Friends, this is the kind of shepherd that we have. This is the kind of God that we have. He is enough for me. He feeds me. He gives me life. He heals me. He guides me. He is with me. He comforts me. He provides for me. He protects me and he follows me. In John 10, chapter 11, probably picking up on this, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. 
the good shepherd that will lay down his life for his sheep. This is the kind of shepherd that we have. You want to know what God looks like? Look at the life of Jesus. Because he is the perfect image of who a God is. He is God in the flesh. And he is our good shepherd. Now maybe uh, you, you're here this morning and you came here with a distorted picture, distorted image of who God is, whether you grew up in church or you didn't grow up in church, or maybe you met some church people that didn't represent God uh, completely well, and you've got some images of who uh, uh, God is that, that might have been uh, distorted. And maybe today you, you, you look at this image of, of this God that we're talking about. Yeah, you know what? I mean, I've heard many things and I've saw many Christians do things that eh, I don't want to get close to. But this shepherd, I, I think I want to get to know this shepherd. And if that's you this morning, in a second, we'll, we'll celebrate communion. Actually, if you're serving at the communion table, uh, please make your way there. We will uh, celebrate communion. And uh, communion is, is the idea that this shepherd, his body was broken and his blood was shed for every one of our sins. And maybe today you want to say, you know what? I want to follow this shepherd. I want to be in a relationship with this loving shepherd. And if that's you today, uh, when it's time to take communion, maybe that will be your first step. That will be your first step of declaring, yes, you know, this is the shepherd that I want to follow, and I want to show that by actually taking his body and his blood and uh, making uh, this step. If that's you, I want to invite you to take communion as a celebration of this decision that you want to make to follow the shepherd. And maybe you're, you're here today and you're a follower of Christ and you've gone to church or you're going to come to church regularly, but as you, you see this image of the shepherd, you realize that you've been following the shepherd from a distance. May I invite you to draw closer to the shepherd. May I invite you to make time to be with the shepherd. May I invite you to create some time in your calendar to be with the, your shepherd and actually to pray those truths, those realities in your life because he is our great shepherd and he wants to lead us closer to himself. So as we uh, celebrate communion, my desire is that you will celebrate communion in that spirit, the spirit that we have an amazing shepherd who uh, wants to come close to us and wants to lead us to himself. His friend, uh, Mike Wilkins, used to say that everything in life is a booby trap that brings us closer to God. Okay? Everything that happens in life is something that God will use to bring us uh, closer to him. And when sheep tend to wander, uh, the story goes that some shepherd will do is they'll actually sprain the leg of the sheep so the sheep won't be able to walk. But God, uh, the, she the shepherd doesn't leave the sheep like that. He actually takes it and carries uh, the sheep on his shoulder. And that's an image, a predominant image that you'll see in a lot of, uh, uh, I guess, Jewish, uh, Judaistic art. The image of a shepherd carrying his sheep on his shoulder. And the idea there is as the sheep is on his shoulder, the shepherd talks to the sheep. And he, uh, the sheep gets used to the voice of the shepherd. So my blessing for you is to realize that whatever happens in life, God wants to use it so that you could get to hear his voice better and that you will allow this shepherd to lead you to himself. Please have a seat as we uh, have other announcements.